Um, welcome to this week's podcast for this, the uh, uh, third week after Epiphany. Third week, fourth week? I think week five. Epiphany five, aren't we in week five already? You are correct. It is yeah. week five. Yeah, how the time goes. Um, and we begin, as usual, with the daily prayer on page 296 of Lutheran Service Book. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory, Glory be, be to, to the, the Father, Father, and to the Son, and, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was, was in the beginning, beginning is now, and will be forever. forever. Amen. So as Paul said, uh, we are now looking ahead to uh, the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany already. It's hard to believe the Epiphany is going by so quick. But thus is the, 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 the liturgical year just keeps going by. And two more weeks till Transfiguration. Yeah, two more Ash, weeks till. Ash Wednesday. Yeah, it's, uh, and February is a short month, so it's, uh, at the Lent time is going to come fast. It doesn't make Lent any shorter, though. Probably. It doesn't make it any shorter, <laughs> no. So uh, this week we are, with our epistle, we are just continuing reading through 1 Corinthians. As you pointed out a few weeks ago, Paul, that we are kind of in a time now where it is just this kind of lectio continua, where mm -hmm. we're uh, reading through Corinthians and uh, with not, not any, uh, I guess, stops in the middle. We're just kind of reading through right now. Uh, you know, so, you know, so we started with chapter 1. Uh, we've have been in there for a couple of weeks. And now this week, we're getting into we, uh, chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 12. Um, so this past week, you might remember that uh, basically what Paul was talking about, you know, Christ, you know, the wisdom and power of God, you know, that, you know, Jews, that they, they demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And that to me, that was kind of the, the big a point right there that um, that you know the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved it is the power of God. I believe that was last week, or is that two mm -hmm. weeks ago? No, right? that was last. Oh, week. okay, alrighty. That again, time goes fast. Uh, the weeks mesh together sometimes. Right, and he's continuing this idea of, of contrasting um, God's wisdom as opposed to human human wisdom. wisdom yeah. Right, right. So we're kind of picking up this wisdom language here again that he was ended off chapter one with. And so our text this week, we can see it as being broken into about two different sections or portions here. Uh, the first section, uh, verses 1 through 5, pertains to proclaiming Christ crucified, which, again, we, Paul had mentioned last, in last week's epistle um, in the reading. But that, that he explains that our wisdom, or uh, that, yeah, that our wisdom is not in the wisdom of man. Um, you know, so we have the power of man, but then we have the power uh, of God, the wisdom of God, and that what it comes in, what comes in the second uh, second section here, uh, where we hear about the secret hidden wisdom of God. And as we get into the text here a little bit, we'll we'll get to understand kind of what this means, this hidden wisdom of God. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of what that second part uh, pertains to. Um, you know, these two sections that we're about to look at. I, I found a quote here from a, a church father 
And I looked up who it was from. I was uh, kind of confused, actually, as to exactly who it was. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly. But it was either Ambrose or uh, uh, Ambrosius or something like that. Okay, so we're talking a very early, an early a church very father. Early church very father. early church father. Uh, and the, the quote goes like this. What Paul calls a testimony here is God the Word incarnate. And again, we'll hear this when, once we read the text. Hidden from all angels from all ages with God. Heretics played fast and loose with these things. They preached their wicked doctrine with great eloquence, following the wisdom of the world. They emptied Christ's cross of his power. They were embarrassed to be ridiculed by the world. Uh, so that might really go with this first section of the text that we're about to go through. So with that in mind, Paul, would you be able to read for us the first five verses of chapter two? Sure. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So again, we already, uh, he ends that section with talking about your faith not resting in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we have kind of this back and forth going here. And you might uh, notice, first I want to point out in verse 1, uh, I did not you know, come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Well, that testimony, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, is a testimony of the Word incarnate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, God, the Word incarnate, so Christ, namely. But then at the end of that verse, you know, he talks about you know, not with lofty speech or wisdom. Well, this reflects something he had said in the previous chapter, actually, from 117, where he said that, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. I believe that was uh, the week that, I was on the podcast last, I think, when that verse came up. I think so. And, and we discussed how you know, Paul kind of downplayed his rhetorical uh, abilities. Which, which he needn't have done because he was a you know, well-educated yeah, well and, and well-spoken. Um, but the point he's trying to make is, is that you could easily obscure the, the real message with flowery language or, yeah. or eloquent turns of phrase, which... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but but in your in your homiletics or preaching classes, they probably encourage you to be very aware of the language you use, so that you're not going over the heads of people. Right. First yeah. of all, with with uh, maybe obscure terms and heavy theological language that you know the average person doesn't understand. It has to be has to be very relatable. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, you preach to the context that you're in. And I think for probably some of us, if not most of us, I mean, it's hard. We've spent, you know, at this point, two years of seminary. By the time we're done, three years, listening to all the professors preach. But, um, but even when they preach, mm -hmm. I think they're very careful in how they how they couch it so that it's, it's very Yeah, I think most of them are. There's some of them uh, that it's more like an academic presentation. Well, and but, for them, it's understandable because they, they know their audience. They're right, preaching yeah, to a bunch yeah. of um, seminarians. And, and that step from the classroom into the chapel is probably a, 
very small one. And so right. you don't need to, to modify things quite as much. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, for example, if I am in a, an agricultural setting, I'll probably try to use a lot of language from agriculture and try to use that in the sermons for the members. So, I mean, it's all about the context you're in. And, um, but as we go along here, we'll find that this word of the cross, this message of the cross, the gospel, is not complicated. So there is no need to use eloquent uh, speech and so forth. Um, you know, so I guess one thing I was uh, wondering going through this, you know, with this uh, first part of the text, you know, what is Paul saying here? I, I guess we've already kind of discussed this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that he's that he's 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 wanting to make sure that we focus on Christ and Christ crucified above above yeah, everything else. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. not the not the wisdom of men. Well, or when you look at it that way, even the interpreters of what they think Christ was all about. You know, rather than taking his own words for it. Right, and you know, in this idea of focusing on Christ crucified and not in the wisdom of men, I think of I mean how many. The lack of uh, better examples, I guess. We have you know all these televangelists on television, but well, now they're probably on podcasts now too. Uh, but you know, Joel Olstein, for example. You know we have these these famous TV preachers that you know, are they really preaching Christ and Him crucified, or are people following them because of their own wisdom and their own eloquent speech and so forth? And I think you know what Paul is trying to say here is, you know, the goal here is for the preacher not to be the center of the attention and not to draw any attention to you know, his abilities or anything, but just to focus simply on that message of Christ. And we can't say it enough, just Christ and him crucified. And really that this message of the cross that we're preaching, like I said, is not a complex message. So there is no need for this eloquent speech and wisdom I'm not going to get up in the pulpit and preach, uh, you know, the message of salvation uh, from an academic standpoint. Um, it, it is simple. But unlike you know many orators and debaters of his time, you know, Paul does not flex his rhetorical muscles. Uh, I, I kind of view it as uh, he wasn't showing off. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually like we read uh, a couple weeks ago. He was actually kind of downplaying his abilities. That. Uh, you know, there's no need to kind of be puffed up with uh, what he was able to do. Right, and, and there's no need for it because it isn't simply the, the power of his speech that does it. It's, right. it, it. It isn't spelled out here specifically, but it's, it's the acknowledgement that it isn't what he's doing. It's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doing the working, work. working yeah. through him. Yeah. yeah, and that's something that in you know, my time of learning that, you know, many pastors I've talked to have always reminded me, you know, as, as weak and frail as we are as human beings, it is ultimately God doing the work, you know, through the Holy Spirit doing the work. So you, I might get done with a sermon, think it didn't go as well as I would have liked, but ultimately the Holy Spirit is working in that. Or to put the most self-deprecating construction on it, it's that the Holy Spirit's working despite our best efforts. Despite our best efforts, <laughs> he's working through us, right. yeah, yeah. And the, you know, there's been many times, you know, I, I get done with the service and think to myself, you know, thank goodness the Holy Spirit's doing the work. <laughs> if it was just me, 
Oh, oh my. Uh, so yes, I mean, so it's a very clear and simple uh, message, and this is how we present the gospel in a very clear and simple manner. There again, no need for any lofty speech. You know, the message of the cross. You know, in itself, it's a lowly message. I mean, the cross. I mean, it was only a place where uh, criminals were were crucified. So I, I believe was it last week the pastor talked on that a little bit. I'm trying to remember. I heard. I heard it somewhere where, I mean, the idea of actually crucifying, it might have been another podcast. It was. Oh, I think it was last week because we were talking about the distinction between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. Yes. Yes. This idea of, you know, Christ our King being crucified on the cross, I mean, that doesn't, you know, fit with what you would expect. It's a a lowly message. And just, I mean, the cross in itself is, you know, it's not eloquent. Right, and yeah. if he were, and if he were actually acknowledged to be an important person, the King of the Jews, yeah. you know, yeah. to, to yeah. wear that title, yeah. they would not have crucified him because that was not a not a punishment that was that was normally exercised on people with that kind of a status. Right, right. So now this isn't to say that, to an extent, Paul does have to depend somewhat on his rhetorical skills of the day. Or you know, but you know that you know he would you know, he would be hiding the weakness and offensiveness of the cross, which is his power. Um, so I mean, he still used you know his his skills as a debater and orator to bring about this message to convey the message. But the point wasn't to to just focus solely on how and on his ability as an orator to do this. But I guess you know, a question here that came to mind, what is the danger of our faith resting on the wisdom of men rather than in the power of God? So I guess again back to this uh, wisdom discussion. Well, it, if you're relying on, on, on men, men will pass away. Yeah, men will you pass know, away. Right, yeah. and, and that's no clearer than when you have um, some of these uh, churches that are built around the personality of the preacher there. As soon as he's no longer in that position, they 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 fall apart yeah, because church, it, was dri- yeah. it was driven by by the sheer force of his personality, not by the word that, that was being preached. Yep, and I don't think it was. Uh, I just want to take a look here. It, I think it was in another text I was reading that you know sometimes there's like you know how you know false doctrine is kind of. It's like a breeze in the wind. Now it goes by, but then it you know, leaves. I mean, there, there's these false doctrines that go around, uh, but we don't put our trust in that. And so, yeah, I mean, we don't put our wisdom in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mm-hmm. And that is, again, really what's going on here that Paul is really emphasizing. Um, you know, and I just got to a few moments ago that he's not really, I mean, explicitly downplaying his role of rhetorical skills, but there is a right way to use those gifts, mm-hmm. you know, in conveying the, this message of Christ. Um, because, like we said, it's not a complex message, it's simple. And in preaching, the, the preacher must resist the urge to draw attention to himself. And as human beings, that's uh, very easy to get that. It's, it's, to do. it's hard not to not to let that get the best of you. Yeah. 
And uh, you know, it, when you were talking about this before, it reminded me of, of why do we have vestments? I mean, right. one of the reasons yeah. we have vestments is, is just to take your to take your mind and your in your eye off the off the presider. Like, oh, that's a really nice new suit that he right. that he's wearing today. Yeah. You know, um, it's to remind you that he's occupying an office and fulfilling a role. Yeah. So it's kind of covering up the individual the individuality of the pastor. Uh, so I mean, you go from one Lutheran church to the other, or at least most. They're all wearing vestments. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, you're not focused on the individual. You're focused on Christ and that word that he's that the pastor is bringing uh, or that Christ is bringing through the pastor as his mouthpiece. But, you know, so, you know, the pastor being careful not to draw attention to himself and you know, just making the message simple. You know, this is how the message of the gospel is conveyed. You know, it's not through eloquent speech. But through humble messengers, uh, you know, weak and frail as we are, that you know, we are preaching Christ and Him crucified, and, and this is just uh, something that really, something we have, think we have to offer, you know, in this world that you know, people aren't getting everywhere. We, we we have here we have Christ to offer, and I think it's a message that um, you know that our that our culture has a hard time grasping that it's. That it can be simple and it doesn't have to be fancy and eloquent. Uh, we're we're just so driven by um, things that we can make, do of our own of our own effort and construction that that those right. must be infinitely better. Right. I remember a few years ago having a conversation with a coworker. Uh, he was Roman Catholic and he had a uh, he he asked me, you know, Jordan, uh, do you do you believe that you know, we have to do anything to get to heaven? And I told him. No, it's just, you know, Christ and what he has done. He's done everything for us. He's earned our salvation. Uh, this, that being so simple mm -hmm. was hard for him to comprehend. Mm -hmm. that, you, know, you don't have to do something in addition to that. Because then you start to ask yourself, well, then how much? You well, start how to, much? You, you have to try to quantify it. And I think that's where Luther started to see the whole thing unravel is how do you quantify what is enough? Right. I mean, to a certain point, then as you know, your human nature would come in, and you start doubting. Well, have I done enough? Mm -hmm. uh, and even I think Luther went through that too. That he, you know, have I done enough? I haven't done enough. But then, you know, Scripture is open to him through the Holy Spirit. So, so now as we get into the second uh, second section, you know, this first part we were dealing primarily with you know, not putting our faith in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mm -hmm. But now we we'll actually get into you know, this power of God and you know, what it is and get more relation to that. So, Paul, would you want to read for us verses 6 through 12? Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Yeah, thank you. So in verse 6, you know, what does Paul mean by... Okay, let's see, is that verse 6? Oh, you know, what does mature mean? He uses the word mature in the text. What? Oh, there we go. Yeah, yet mm-hmm. among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Uh, so I guess, uh, what do you think mature would mean? Well, I'm tempted to think it, it means a, a maturity of faith and understanding, but, but you want to be careful with that because sometimes children are a far better example of, of, of faith than, than we adults are. Right, yeah. And, you know, that's, uh, that's not uh, totally off, I mean, kind of what we're looking for here, though. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, a mature is that, you, I guess you could say we we're well-grounded in the faith. Um, you know, it, actually in Colossians, uh, it, you know, there's the language of rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And so, yeah, I mean, it is being mature in the faith that, you know, we, uh, through Scripture and through um even prayer and daily devotion, we, we, we are mature in the faith. We're brought to this. Yeah, maturity. I think maybe yeah, your word rooted or have foundation or maybe the best the best expressions yeah. of that, that 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 those who possess that can then uh, can then grasp the greater the greater uh, meaning of the of this message. Right, and really, this can get to then. You know, uh, he even mentions this, you know, this uh, hidden wisdom of God in the second, in verse 7. Well, it, it, this message or wisdom of God is hidden to those who, who don't believe. But to those of us who are mature in the faith, who are in Christ, this is no longer hidden to us. It has been revealed to us. It's been revealed in God's word. Uh, but of course, now I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about in a little bit. But you know, up to now in Corinthians, you know, Paul has said that the wisdom of man is incompatible with preaching the foolish, uh, quote unquote, foolish message of Christ crucified. Which again, we heard that in the pre- uh, last week's epistle lesson. But now Paul makes clear there is wisdom to depart. Now this wisdom isn't the wisdom of man, mm-hmm. but it's the wisdom of God. And you know what? I guess what is what wisdom is there to impart? What is this wisdom? Be the question. The 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 wisdom of God is it's it's beyond it's beyond our understanding of the wise. It it, what it becomes is the just the sheer acceptance of it and and the reliance that oh, this is this is God's plan. This is His intent, and to just. um, accept that this this is outside of us. It's God's wisdom. We're not we're not capable of comprehending it fully. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this wisdom that God has revealed to us uh, in His Son Jesus Christ. Uh, so I actually, you know, I got a. There were two questions I thought of here. The one I just asked was, you know, what wisdom is there to impart? But then, what wisdom is it not? Well, I think we've answered that. It's mm-hmm. not the wisdom of man. Mm-hmm. It's not our wisdom, not the human wisdom. 
uh, again, as tempting as it is to follow the wisdom of men, and uh, the world would tell us to follow that, but no, as Christians, as God's children, we follow his wisdom and his plan. So again, this, is, this wisdom is not a human wisdom that we, that we impart, but it is God's wisdom. And then in the text, Paul says that this wisdom of God is a mystery. It's a, it has been a mystery a hidden and secret. But as I just said a few moments ago, it is no longer hidden. It is no longer a secret. It has been revealed to us. Well, and that's the message of the New Testament. There was this waiting and waiting and waiting, and, and, and now it's, it's all unfolded and it's been revealed to us, which was always a struggle, I think, to some of the churches that Paul was writing to because they're, I think their minds were stuck in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, now this has been openly re revealed you know, in the Word of God, namely Christ. Uh, and like you said, in the New Testament, you know, this has been open to us. It has been revealed to us. And, you know, although this might have been hard to grasp to some of those early Christian congregations, but at his incarnation, the full light of the gospel burst on the world. I, I love that. I found that somewhere. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that the incarnation of Christ, you know, that this light of the gospel burst. Uh, you know, into the world. It's, I love that language. That, that like now things are being revealed. Now things are being opened to us. It's no longer a secret. Although, Old Testament, things always pointed ahead to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe it wasn't as much of a secret as uh, as one might think. Right, right. Well, and they always expected that, that a Messiah would come. They just yeah. you know, uh, weren't quite sure in what form and what, what to look for. Right, right. So, you know, it, it is, you know, what, you know, what has God revealed, you know, or through what has, what has God revealed to us through these things? Um, you know, he has revealed to us the person and nature of God. Mm -hmm. But then uh, we are also given a glimpse by what Christ did on the cross. And this is what he has revealed to us. You know, that you know, true wisdom is the gospel so the means of salvation through the cross of Christ. Uh, that's uh, um, another church father, uh, Chrysostom. I don't know if you heard of him mm -hmm. at all. He's a early church father. Uh, so you know, he said that the true wisdom is the gospel. You know, the means of salvation through the cross. You know, true wisdom is not the wisdom of man, but it's this wisdom of Christ and what He has done. I think it's great that we can go back to these early church fathers and realize. Um, how obvious it was and how clear it was in their minds. Right. And, and then it just makes you think about with the centuries that followed them, the, the accretions that the church sometimes layered upon that, that just clouded the real message. Yep. That if we just go back, uh, well, first of all, if we just go back to scripture, we get the clearest message and the yep. message from yep. Paul. Mm -hmm. but, but the early church fathers were, were only one layer removed from that. And, and, and they had it clearly, uh, Pretty clearly understood. Yep, yep. So this true wisdom of the gospel and this means of salvation through the cross, it is indeed what we preach. That when we preach Christ and Him crucified, as I've tried to reiterate quite a few times already. And you know, it is, you know, this is for you and for me. It is for all of us. As in my Tuesday morning Bible study, we've talked about salvation. You know, being universal for everyone. 
it is no longer for just Jews, but for Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. It's, there's no distinction anymore. Right, and that was yeah. something in last week's epistle that was made very clear. Right? Yeah. He, yeah. He, he iterated that multiple times. It's for Jews and Gentiles. For Jews and Gentiles. For, for, or, or sometimes he, he used uh, Greeks. He, he used that interchangeably. Yeah, Greek. Jews and Gentile. Greeks. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, now what spirit does a text say we have received? Not the spirit of this world, but the spirit is who is from God, right there yeah, the at the end of the passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and he very clearly spells it out there that it's uh, it's not the spirit uh, of of men of of this world. Yeah, it's the spirit, it's the spirit of God, mm -hmm. and and you know, how this spirit, you know, you know uh, continues to uh, to work. Uh, you know, with this spirit given us, you know, we do understand the things freely given us by God. Uh, you know, it is not on our own wisdom, but this wisdom from God that you know, we understand these things. You know, and namely, we understand that, you know, he has provided, you know, this by his grace. Uh, you know, the Lutheran confessions, you know, they teach us that through the word, you know, that he reveals and preaches, he illumines and enkindles hearts so that they understand, accept, cling to, and persevere in the Word. So it is in the Word that He reveals these things to us, these things that are uh, freely given, um, you know, salvation, life, mm -hmm. and so forth. And uh, His Word, you know, it is undimmed by time. It is unchanging. It, uh, it still does reveal God's justice and grace to sinful hearts. And we take joy in that. You know, we thank the Lord for revealing himself to us you know, uh, by what Christ did on the cross, continuing to reveal these things through his word. This passage uh, that's quoted in, in our reading here, um, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, mm -hmm. nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, I've heard that many times used as a funeral text. I don't know if you've, you've heard it in that context at all. I can't think of any times off the top of my head. But to, to me, it works very well for that um, because I think when you're grieving like that uh, at the time of a funeral, you don't understand you don't understand how God moves the way he does, why, why it was time for that person to be taken up. Uh, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a comforting way of looking at the wisdom of God, I think, that it's, it's not our, of our choosing. And God, God numbers our days, and, and it's and it's up to Him. Right, and uh, I mean, we take comfort that uh, He is in control of all of this for us. But that is a beautiful uh, passage there, though. That you know, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has preached for those who love Him. Yeah, that's a beautiful language. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we, were, we were talking about this idea of mystery. Are, are you familiar with, with, with Leonard Klein, the uh, Lutheran, Leonard Lutheran theologian, Klein. I, Leonard not, Klein? No. Um, it was just a, a quote that, that I, I came across from him um, in, a, in a reading that I had, had come across recently. Because we were talking, we've been talking a lot about mystery, you know, and even with the New Testament, uh, the things revealed in the New Testament and preaching Christ crucified. There's, there's still things we don't under, understand about 
about God and the way he moves, the way he does. We simply have to accept these things on faith and, and, yep. and, and trust in it. And um, he writes, um, if you want to make sense of things, you have to notice that the truth may not always make the kind of sense you're looking for. The real truth lies in the mystery of what God does. So um, our minds, I think, are not capable of approaching the wisdom of God to a certain level. And I think, wasn't it, wasn't it um, uh, Aquinas that said there's kind of like a ceiling um, in, in our thought process in our ways of looking at things where we, can, we, can, we can't ascend past that certain ceiling of understanding. We can look up and we can grasp what we can, but there's certain, a, a certain ceiling where there's God's wisdom that we can't perfectly understand that's, that's above that. We just have to okay. accept, accept that that's uh, God's wisdom. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with Aquinas. I mean, in, Don't in quote me on that, I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, in that line of thinking, I suppose, I mean, really what we can say then is that we know what is necessary for salvation. Right, and, 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 and Paul, I think, helps us feel at home and at peace with that, that yeah. what you need to know, God has revealed to you. You don't need to know all the other details. You know, it's... it's no, we've been given what we need to we've know. We've been given what we need to know, exactly. Yeah. Just like um, there's things in the Bible that we, we don't know that actually we... Aren't, aren't important details like what exactly did Jesus look like? What color were his eyes? You know, did he have long hair? Did he have a beard? I mean, we, we assume a lot of things we about Jesus. Things, yeah. But I think if we had had all those descriptions, we might focus on them and lose sight of, of, of what Jesus is really all about. Those things are unimportant. Yep. So we don't, we don't need to have them. No, we don't need to have them. We know that Christ died on the cross for us and that you know, this is what God had planned for the salvation of the world. That is enough, and that He has given this to us in His Word. Now, speaking about Word, uh, I did the, the you know, truth be told, that Paul and I actually did talk a little bit beforehand about uh, the uh, hymns for this week, and I, I kind of had a hunch, and I kind of pulled some of this language here. Um, I said that this word that we've been talking about is undimmed by time. With that ah. said, what? What hymn did you pick for us for this week, Paul? Um, it's a hymn, actually, we've talked about before, but it's been it's been uh, probably about two years ago. But it's a very interesting hymn, so it's worth coming back to. It's number eight hundred and thirty-six in the Lutheran Service Book, "O God of Light." And if the if the title doesn't uh, just uh, call to mind, you know, a, a very familiar hymn. It's because it's one of the newer ones that's that has entered our uh, our hymnals. Um, it's not new in the sense that it was maybe the last decade or two. The occasion for the hymn is is rather interesting. It was commissioned by the the hymn society to celebrate the publication of the Revised Standard Version. So um, the Revised Standard Version. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but but the the Revised Standard Version was probably the first English version after King James that was widely widely used. Was it was it the the RSV or was was and then NIV followed that? Uh, I guess uh, don't hold me to it, but I do know the RSV was kind of a precursor to it, ESV. Right, right. Yeah, I do know that much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think the importance is at least uh, for my 
cursory reading of it is, is that the RSV, for a lot of churches who are maybe uh, using the King James Version, something, the, the, the one that was in the modern language, modern usage, because the English language has evolved since, yeah. Yeah. since the uh, King James Version. Um, but then also it reflected uh, further study of the original languages, right? And maybe uh, refined some of the, mm. the phrases in it a little bit because not, not to say that King James is, has inaccuracies in it, but just in terms of how the, how the language, the English language reflects the content of mm. it, um, there were adjustments that e easily could be made. In any event, it was the, the hymn society that commissioned this. And, and I don't know, maybe you're, are, are you aware that there is such a thing as the Hymn Society? I'm not aware of this. Yes, no. yeah. It's, a, it's an organization, uh, um, I believe they used to go by the title of the Hymn Society of, of North America, um, or maybe it was the United States and Canada. Anyway, they're, they're, their name has changed. Um, but yeah, their passion is to collect hymns that are in usage here in North America um, and study them. They meet annually. They have an annual conference where they get together, um, study new hymns, study research on old hymns. Um, and it's, uh, I've, I've gone to one of their meetings and it's, it's really wonderful because here you're, you're singing with a chapel uh, full of people who are just very passionate about hymn singing from all different corners of, of the church. You know, you come from a lot of different backgrounds. And for that reason, um, some of the hymns that you might hear there are maybe things that you would not use in your own home context because maybe the particular theology that's that's emphasized there just it, it doesn't square with where you're coming from. Um, but it, it nevertheless, it's it's a it's a great way to study the the different gifts that that are out there uh, producing new new hymn texts. Uh, this particular text was written by. Sarah Taylor, one of the, the few women text writers that we have represented uh, in our hymnal. And um, she was born in England, but came to the US at a very young age. And then later in life, um, she studied the classics and was, uh, was a classics teacher. And so uh, uh, language and, and um, the, the study of the languages uh, came very easy to her. So it makes sense that maybe she, she was a, a good hymn writer and poet, which you which you need to be if you're going to set yourself on this course. Her father, as it turns out, was happened to be a, a, a minister in the Primitive Methodist Church. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard of the, the, the Primitive Methodists. Not primitive, no. But primitive in the sense that they felt that, that Wesley did not go far enough in terms of, of going back to this uh, 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 spiritualism is, is mm. and so they they end up being a little bit more Pentecostal in their, okay. in their outlook okay. that you know you need to have the, the the sense of the spirit and the moving of the spirit and and uh, as apart from the other Methodists who I, I think we would associate normally with being very mainline in their understanding of uh, uh, of theology mm -hmm. rather than uh, that that kind of Pente Pentecostal spiritual yep. uh, kind of way of looking at it um, nevertheless, I don't sense a lot of that reflected in the text that she wrote here. Um, the composer of the music was a um, was a, uh, an Australian who um, uh, emigrated to Canada and worked in Canada uh, most of his life. And so um, I believe they both ended up being Canadian 
So, um, or no, the, 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 the tune was actually named after another Canadian. So it's, it really fits well with that idea of the Hymn Society being this, this organization that spans both the United States and Canada. It's very, very much kind of a, uh, a cross-borders uh, ecumenical kind of effort. And if you, look at the, if you look at the text of this hymn, it begins, O God of Light, which is perfect for us here in this, in this season of light, of, of epiphany, where epiphany. we emphasize that. But in the hymnal, they, they put it into the mission and witness section. Um, so let me ask you, um, since you felt that this hymn kind of captured some of the, the ideas that you wanted to bring out uh, this Sunday in the sermon, what, what particular lines or, or verses of this really spoke to you for, um, for this coming Sunday? Oh, yeah, put me on the spot here. Okay. No. <laughs> for uh, uh, at least my, my understanding is yep. of it, why, how it pairs with the idea of the publication of the RSV, the new translation, mm -hmm. is it, it talks a lot about the word. Um, Kind of like Psalm one thirteen or one nineteen, Thy word is a lamp unto my path. I mean, that's right out of the first line. O God of light, your word a, a lamp unfailing. Uh, kind of quotes that uh, directly, and and kind of continues on this notion that the word, the word is undimmed by time. That it's it's God's word stands forever, and it's unchanging, and we can always rely on that. And that it's a it's just His gift to us that uh, and it comes to us through the saints, through the apostles, the prophets, and the sages. Um, key, the key there being through, it's not their words. It's not the wisdom of man uh, as we come back to that. Yeah, it's, to right, result. right. Yeah. It's, the wisdom, it's the wisdom of God. Um, and just how the New Testament fulfills all those, those old prophecies and how we just... We enjoy, um, as it's summarized in the in the end here, um, may praise and celebrate celebrate your gift of grace that we've just been given this wonderful gift um, of the word uh, revealed uh, through the writers of the of the scriptures. So, uh, do you know off the top of your head what is the psalm that would be appointed for this Sunday? Would that would that be the psalm? No, 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 it is, it, it is not. The psalm, interestingly, the psalm appointed for this Sunday, and it's often the case that the, that the psalm is kind of a bridge or a tie between the Old Testament and the gospel reading. We're talking, we were talking about the epistle yeah, mostly. Yeah. And were, were your message this Sunday focused more on the epistle as well? No, my message this Sunday will be more on the gospel and the Old Testament. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The the um, the psalm for this Sunday appointed for this Sunday is is Psalm eighty four. Um, um, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of Hosts. Oh. Okay. Um, okay. Um, which which to me wasn't one of the the major themes that you were looking to bring out this week. But no. That is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just got kind of curious. You know yeah. what, the, what the psalm was. Yeah. No. Psalm one nineteen would have been a, a, a good pairing uh, to go with the with the yeah. the epistle certainly, but. I, and, then, and the thing with the Psalms is, too, kind of like uh, our epistle reading, it may have two major points to it. And it's not unheard of that maybe the gospel has multiple points to it, too. And it's, it's a challenge to figure out which one you, you want to focus in on and yeah. preach on. Yeah. The, I've noticed that the Psalms can be that way, too. Yeah. They'll have multiple personalities. Um, uh, sometimes they'll begin with, with 
a series of uh, petitions kind of laying out um, um, uh, uh, petitions that, that God's people are making to him. And then they, they often return at the end with uh, expressions of praise that God will, will restore them or, or we will praise his name forever for, for the ways that he has blessed us. And, and the Psalms can often have multiple themes or personalities in them that way too. So maybe it's a different part of Psalm 84 that they were, they were aiming for, yeah. which is why it was chosen for this week. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and and, and sing this um, this hymn. Um, this is one that um, uh, it's it's like last week. It happens to be printed only in the melody. There's only we only have the melody here in the hymnal. We don't have the harmonization. I think part of the reason for that is this is a rather um, uh, rangy and kind of aerobic hymn tune. It 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 goes you know, a lot of leaps up and down, makes it a little bit more challenging to sing, unlike the one uh, um, we had last week, which is very much a kind of an easy stepwise folk folk tune. Yep. This one is a little bit more more ambitious, and you can tell it was written by a, by a church musician that maybe was trying to, or, or had in mind, well, you know, you don't want it to be too easy. Because, right. because there is something to be said about that, that a hymn tune that's, that's too, too simple, too easy doesn't well wear very well on the ear, and I think a great example of that is um, the the hymn tune Hamburg, which is uh, the tune to "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross." When I survey the wondrous cross, very simple, stays in a very narrow range. I I find that I tire of that tune by the time you get through five or six stanzas of it. I think there's there's that many in the hymn. Yeah. There's, there's other hymn tunes that are often paired with that that I think stand up to the, the text a little bit better just because they give you a little bit more, um, yeah, just, just a little bit more to work with in terms of, of melody in, in, your, in your ear. So um, too simple is maybe not a, not, not a uh, preferred thing either. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at this one. I, I'm not too knowledgeable about like notes and everything, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. on the, the third line, uh, I think the second measure is that a was lower than a C, isn't it? Uh, would that um, well the third show the, your grace. The third, the third line there dips all the way down to a B below the staff. To, to a B, yeah. Yeah, and within now notice within the span of of, of two measures there, <laughs> you're already up to the top of the staff. Yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's quite a range. It's, it's almost it's almost an octave and a half, or which would be you know a span of of um, uh, 13 notes, um, yeah. which is which is quite quite a bit. Um, which, you know, as for comparison, the Star Spangled Banner has a range of, of just one more than that. And the, and okay. for that reason, I think the Star Spangled Banner people always think, oh, well, that's easy enough to sing. It's quite a wide yeah. it's quite a wide ranging melody, and and that's why I think you find <laughs> some people get in trouble when they start singing it. And they don't they don't realize, oh. I, I started too high or I started too low and then yep. they get to the high part at the end and they're in trouble and, and they switch octaves and then they don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's important to, um, uh, to plan, plan ahead carefully. Mm -hmm. Now this particular tune, actually it starts on the high end. Yeah. So when yeah. we sing this, I think uh, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll not start too low because otherwise you get in trouble when you get to that, uh, 
to that third line. So um, why don't we sing, um, oh, why don't we sing, why don't we sing stanzas one and two uh, of this one? O God of light, your word a lamp unfailing shall pierce the darkness of our earthbound way and show your grace, your plan for us unveiling and guide our footsteps to the perfect day. From days of old, through blind and willful ages, though we rebound, you gently sought again, and spoke through saints, Apostles, prophets, sages, who wrote with eager or reluctant pen. Well, well done. That's not an easy tune to sing. So, um, the, the high notes I struggle with a little bit. But, yeah, but but the yeah, profile of the yeah, tune, you yeah. really you really have it well in your ears. So, yeah, yeah. So well uh, done. And um, we continue with the, uh, uh, the short litany from the middle of daily prayer on, on page 286. It's, it's really a, uh, it's a Kyrie, which, which is a type of, type of litany. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So bless the Lord Jesus Christ. At this hour you hung upon the cross, stretching out your loving arms to embrace the world in your death. Grant that all people of the earth may look to you and see their salvation. For your mercy's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Please join us for worship this weekend. Our worship opportunities are at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and on Mondays at 6.30 p.m.